lower this for the sake of our scripture reader today. Our usual microphone's not working. So, Allison, come on up here. There you go. I will be reading Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand, and it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant, so you must ask. Who will go up in heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask who will cross the sea and bring it to us so we can hear and obey. No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so you can obey it. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Now, today, I have been given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you would make your descent, so your descendants might live. You can make the choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life, and if you love and obey the Lord, you will live along you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thank you, dear. Um, we'll dismiss our kids to children's church presently. I've had a few people ask me how last week went. Um, I hesitate to even answer because it's, it's good, but it's hard. It's good in that um, God affirmed what we thought he was doing all along. And um, they affirmed, the congregation, the countryside affirmed, the elders' recommendation to take us on. And so this is kind of me coming back saying, what do I want to say to you guys? Um, we've got a few weeks left. And if I, um, if I had, if you had, some measured time that you knew you had to speak to loved ones and friends, like I'm reminded of um, Alverna Ferguson. You guys remember Alverna. Her situation was so unique. When, when she fell ill and the doctors were telling her, your lungs are filling up. There's nothing we can do about it. It's going to eventually kill you, probably in two weeks. Her mind is sharp. She's able, to, even yet, yet when I was there with her, to get around and 
she knows exactly what's going on. And she knows her days are literally numbered. And within, like, I don't know, 24, 48 hours of the doctor's prediction, she passed away. If you knew you had that kind of time and that kind of clarity and that kind of lucidity about you, what would you begin to say to those around you? My guess is you would begin to say all the things you've already said for years to the people around you. You would just affirm who they are and what you wanted to say, what you've been saying to them their whole lives. And so it's not like somebody's dying here. <laughs> but I begin to wonder, I've, what, what would a guy want to preach if he had a few weeks left with people that he loves? And my, my answer was basically, well, pretty much just what I've been preaching all along. I mean, I'm just going to be saying the stuff that I've been saying only maybe more intentionally, maybe a little more measured in what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to make up for lost time. I think we've done uh, a lot of things together. I think we've learned a lot of stuff together through God's word. And it began, the preacher in me began thinking, well, what kinds of, this, this is not probably going to interest you at all, but it interests me, and so I'm going to say it. Um, there are lots of different kinds of sermons. You may, you may have heard all kinds of different messages and there, there are names for them. I mean, there are, you've heard evangelistic-centered messages where it's the gospel and they want people to respond to it. You've heard expository messages. Maybe you've never heard that word before, but it's just you take a chunk of text and you just dissect it like a scientist or you, you put it in patterns like a grammarian or an English teacher and you uh, structure all these sentences and you get the, the stuff out of the passage. Um, there's doctrinal messages, like a teaching on, say, baptism or communion or the authority of God or stuff we believe is doctrine. And there are those kinds of messages. There's uh, what I, some would call missional messages. It's just, this is the church and this is what we ought to be doing, so let's go do it. It's that kind of message. There are um, equipping messages, like you all have a job to do, and here's something that will help you do it. I'm going to try to equip you to go out and fulfill the message, the, the mission that you have. And then there's just topical stuff, um, stuff on like family or, or marriage or, or money management, all the things the Bible has to say about topics, all kinds of things like that. Um, there are just plain old spiritual growth what I call peanut butter and jelly sermons. You know, you just, you, you, you eat them, you like them, it gets you through the day, it helps you be strong in your inner person. Then there are places that you, maybe you've heard, I don't know that I've, I probably have been guilty of this, I've heard other preachers do this, the rant, right? You get a, you get a burr in your saddle and you just, oh, it's been a bad week, and you're going to hear about it right now because I'm just about to unload on all of you. That's, that's not something they teach you in Bible college, but it does happen. But then there's, and I don't know what else to call it, there's the be good sermon. Just behave. You know, I mean, and it comes across, maybe some of us grew up with this kind of preaching. Just be good person. Just stop doing bad things. Just straighten up. A spiritual growth sermon disguised as a rant is a be good sermon. Okay, and um, this is a this is a video that's a I've shown this before. It's a favorite at my house, 
because of the other applications that it has. But this is the Honest Preacher video. Today's reading comes from the book of Proverbs. A little more volume. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, You guys! Sometimes you're bad! Don't be jerks! You're supposed to be good! I'm in my office every day, and somebody comes in, and they're like, Hey, whoops! My don't! Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it! The word of the Lord. Stop it! That is the shortest career-ending sermon <clears throat> that I've ever heard. So, um, yeah, that gets quoted a lot at my house. <laughs> stop it! <laughs> Jesus said, stop it. It's sort of, and, and I began to wonder, uh, again, through Scripture, what are some of the last things that people said and, that were written down for us? And I immediately went to Moses. In the last few chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses gives that, in, a, in essence. I mean, it read to me, those five chapters read to me like a be good sermon. A little bit of a rant, just a back to basics, come on! Come on, guys, what's going on here? And remember what happens with Moses. I mean, the first 40 years of his life, from the very beginning, we see that story beginning as a baby. They can't hide him anymore. His mother makes a, a basket, hides him in the river. Pharaoh's daughter picks him up, raises him in Pharaoh's household as an Egyptian, but still knows he's an Israelite. And at 40 years, he has that incident with the Egyptian, kills him, buries him, but gets caught, gets found out, and he runs. He runs out to the wilderness of Midian, where for 40 years, um, he gets a family. He starts having trouble with in-laws. He is shepherding sheep 40 years out in the wilderness, just making a living, trying to forget the first 40 years. But at 80 years old, he runs into a bush, that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And God calls out, go free my people. I'm giving you a job to do. And he gives them every reason why you don't want me to do this. God, you don't want me to do this. I can't, I can't, I can't talk very good. And you, you, you don't want me to do that. Yes, I do. I'll give you Aaron to speak for you. And you're going. And so then all the Exodus stuff starts to happen. All of the the plagues on Egypt, the Red Sea crossing, out to Mount Sinai. They spend a year there. 
and then up to the promised land only to be turned by a few bad apples who said, we can't go in there. And God says, well, you're right, you won't, but your generation after you will. And for 40 years, they wandered and wandered the desert until Moses is now 120 years old. They're at the border. They're at the mountain where he can see across the river. They've taken several different kingdoms on their way up there. They've defeated a a few kings and already given on the east side of the Jordan the inheritance to a few of these tribes, they're looking across to the promised land, and Moses knows he's not going. He blew that a long time ago, back at the rock, when he was supposed to talk to it, but he struck it with the rod. And he is tired. Can you imagine? After, after going 40 years as a hundred-and-some-year-old person, knowing your time, knowing how many years you have left, knowing you're not going to make it, but being faithful to lead a people, a nation. And now you're at the brink. Now you know your time is short. Now you know this people that you have been given to lead is now going to go on without you. And this is your last shot. What will you say? What will you do? Well, there's something about I've seen this in my parents and in some other people too. When they get older, they lose their filters. They just start saying, saying what they want to say. Why not? I mean, I'll just speak my mind here. I don't, I don't have anything to be afraid of. I'm, you know, I've earned the right. And at, at 120 years old and he's tired and, and he's worried about them and he's had enough, basically, and he knows he's going to die soon, it's just, there's nothing that I'm not going to say to you right now. (laughs) That you need, and he knows that they need to hear it, and it boils down to two words, listen and love. Listen and love. Look at, if you got a Bible open, chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 26 the whole book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses just reiterating the law. It's his big pep talk before they go into the promised land. And Deuteronomy 26, verse 16, begins this way. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws, carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God, and that you will walk in his ways, and that you'll keep his decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will obey him. And the Lord has declared this day, the Lord has declared that you are his people, his treasured possession, as he promised, and you are to keep all his commands. He's declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor, high above all the nations he's made and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. He's reminding them of what they've known all along. Listen, follow, obey. He has chosen you. You are special. You are a people belonging to him. Act like it. Respond to him. He's delivered you. Act the way you know you should. To listen in the Hebrew 
and even in the English, you can hear something and ignore it. But to listen, that is different. To listen is to engage with someone. To listen is to put your phone down or turn the TV off. To listen is to actually have a conversation and respond. Lots of times when your kids hear your voice, it's what, where does it go? Right in one ear and out the other, right? Um, I'm not going to ask how many, you know, spouses in here do the same thing, but I know what happens. I hear a voice, but it's like that Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 wah. What did you say? But to listen is to turn your head, to make eye contact, to invest, and then to respond in kind, out of respect, out of love. Listen and love. If you love the Lord, you'll listen to him. If you listen to the Lord, you'll grow to love him. These two go side by side, hand in hand. Moses begins in chapter 28. And there's a lot here. I'm not going to read all this. You can do this um, on your own, and I'd encourage you to do so. Chapter 28 begins with blessings. Blessings promised. Blessings for obedience and it, be, and it begins to just say, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you follow this, you'll be blessed. And all this whole big list, there is blessing in obedience. Now, is God trying to buy their favor? Is he trying to bribe them to do what he wants? No, no. This is pure cause and effect. This is the way the universe is created. If you follow the Lord and his word, there is blessing, period. That's just the way he made us. That's the way he made us to connect with him. It's just an if-then. The law of nature is just, you follow God, you will be blessed by him. The fruit of your land, the fruit of your womb, the, the, um, the, the results, the wherever, wherever you want to put it, your blessing will be in obedience and in faithful listening. He promises rain. He promises superiority over their enemies. He promises all kinds of things. Just because a nation whose God is the Lord is blessed. But notice that section is only 14 verses long. Then he goes to the curses. Now, we think of a curse as something like I don't know, Halloween-y, like a witch thing or like a book that you read a spell and you curse somebody. Well, that's not what this is. This is really good, by the way. The coffee bar, is it going to be open after church? I don't know. You probably put it away. Really, it's really good. If, if a blessing comes because of obedience, and that's just the way obedience works, is a, it, it brings a blessing. Curses come when we rebel. God doesn't just say, well, you didn't do what I wanted, so I'm not going to like you anymore. It's, it's not that at all. It's just the natural consequence of a rebellious decision to go against the way of the Lord. You go your own way, you get your own reward and not God's. And what 
what caught my attention was that this section on curses for disobedience goes from verse 15 and lasts and lasts and lasts and goes clear through verse 68. Over 50 verses, verses 14. Now it doesn't mean that God's big, bad, and mean, and he's waiting to just squish you like a bug. It just means, look, if I put more emphasis on this, maybe you'll stay away from it. And if you read some of this, it is, it is crazy scary, the kind of detail that he goes and, and talks about. What will become of you if you rebel, if you forsake the Lord your God, if you go after your uh, other idols, if you... I'll let you read it. <laughs> disaster upon disaster is promised to those. Because God is just and he is holy. But some of this is just bringing on our own head. A life without the power of God, a life that ignores, thumbs their noses at God, will reap that kind of punishment but you see there's always mercy to be had in chapter 29 he continues to renew talks about the renewal of the covenant the promise that god makes and the agreement that the people make And then it takes this interesting turn in verse 19 of chapter 29. This caught me by surprise. Verse 19 says, When such a person hears the words of this oath, meaning they're talking about the covenant, the promise that God makes, when a person hears that, he invokes a blessing on himself. Okay, so, oh good, God's going to promise me this. Okay, that's awesome. I love that. He invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. In other words, he wants to be the people of Israel, but he doesn't want to commit his way to the Lord. He wants to wear the name, but he doesn't want to walk the walk. He wants to belong to the assembly, but he wants to do his own thing. Does that sound like any... Anybody, any church people that I might have been or you might have been? Does this sound like anything familiar today? This, Moses says, will bring disaster on what? The land. Hang on, what? Hang, what? A rebellion of a person's heart brings about disaster on the land, which then brings disaster on the man. Have you, have you noticed that all through, I mean, it sounds like Genesis 3 to me. Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned. What, what, what else was cursed? Creation. It began to grow weeds and thorns and, and the weather doesn't cooperate anymore and things die on you. And creation itself, Paul says, groans to be redeemed. It wants to be recreated back the way it was. It's not enough 
to just say I'm a part of the family and then do my own thing, go my own way, live my own life. If you're going to wear the name, walk accordingly. Yet, again, there's mercy. Look at verse, chapter 30. When all these blessings and curses I've said before you come upon you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. Look, he's already, he's already like, what do you call it? You telegraph a pass. He's already forewarning them, you're going to be sent into exile somewhere. You're going to lose your land. You're going to be taken off to slavery. When you do, (laughs) and when you turn your heart back to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Isn't that an awesome promise? Isn't that a hope for anybody who's ever wandered from the faith? Isn't that like good news to anyone who's ever said, I know I'm lost. I know I've forsaken the Lord. I know I don't care anymore. But this says if I ever do, if my heart, if I'm captured by him again, if I, if, I, if I just turn my face toward him again, he will take me back. He promised it right there. He said he would gather me. He didn't wait for me to come to him. He said, I will gather you. I will bring you back. That's a promise. That's mercy. And then the section that Allison read for us, Maybe a little more familiar. Chapter 30, verse 11. He takes a little bit of a break and almost addresses them as, as you know, his kids and grandkids. You know, what I'm commanding you today is, isn't too difficult for you. This isn't too hard. It's not too wonderful or marvelous. It's, it's not beyond your reach. It's not clear up in heaven where you have to go, who, who's going to go get that? It's, it's not beyond the sea to say, well, who's going to go get that? And no, it's very near to you. It's on your tongue. It's in your heart. It's right real close to you. I think we make things hard. This isn't rocket science. It's not brain surgery. It, we make it complicated we make it so that people think, well, I, I don't know enough about this. Well, frankly, it's not the parts that you don't know that should worry you. It's the parts that you do know and follow that are enough. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that give me fits. <laughs> and, I, and I do what I can and then the power of the Spirit to follow those things. But Moses is here telling us, listen, it's not impossible. It, this isn't too much. If we give up our need to define good and evil for ourselves, if we get over our own self-importance, or if we give, 
if we give up our own self-hatred and our own shame, if we give that up, if we embrace who God says we are in him, because of the blood of Christ, if we give up the need to be in control, if we give up our need for our pride or our self-loathing, if we trust that God is good and powerful and loving, if we humble ourselves before him in worship, then the choices become a lot clearer. The decisions become a lot easier to do what he wants because we trust him. He says, listen, I'm putting before you today life and prosperity. I set before you today death and destruction. There is life and death before you. There is obedience and disobedience before you. Which will we choose? For it is a choice. But then there's a commandment. Verse 16, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, and then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you. He begins to uh, talk about Joshua in the next chapter. And we hear some, some familiar words. Chapter 31, verse 3, The Lord your God will himself cross over the, ahead of you You don't have to go by yourself. You don't even have to go first. He'll go first and prepare your way. He will destroy those nations before you. You'll take possession of their land. Joshua will cross ahead of you, as the Lord said. The Lord will be with you. Whatever you do, wherever you go. And remember, it says verse 4, the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. Remember that? Remember that back there when the Lord delivered you from those kings? Remember what he did? Remember the faithfulness? Remember the power that came from him? He's going to do it again. Sometimes we need reminded of what God's already done in order to look ahead to see what he's going to do and be consistent and faithful. And then we hear, Verse 6, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid or terrified. The Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Then Moses gathered Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Joshua, you've got a job to do. You've got work ahead of you. Go with courage. Go with strength. The Lord himself goes before you and with you, and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I stole what Rhonda posted earlier in the week that worrying about tomorrow doesn't solve tomorrow's problems. Worrying about tomorrow just saps today's strength. And I butchered that quote, but I, that's, that, that's the point. 
Worrying about tomorrow doesn't solve tomorrow's problems. It only takes away today's strength. Worry doesn't solve anything. And that would be awesome if Moses would have stopped there on that high note. Be strong and courageous. Go, Joshua. Let's go get him, man. But he doesn't. He doesn't stop there. He gives some more instruction. And then it's kind of like God pulls Moses aside and says, okay, look, here's the way it's going to go down. Chapter 31, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, you're going to rest with your fathers, means you're going to die. And these people that you've been talking to, that you've been leading for, for decades now, these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And on that day, I'll become angry with them and forsake them, and I'll hide my face from them, and they'll be destroyed. Can you imagine the look on Moses' face when God says, look, look, okay, I know you've run a good race. You've done a good job here and now you've passed this off to Joshua, and they're going to go into this land, and they're going to immediately fall on their face. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, I've just spent the last 40 years of my life trying to get these people straight, trying to give them this law, trying to get them to behave themselves, and you're going to tell me that as soon as they get in there, they're going to conquer stuff, but they're going to fall away, they're going to make choices that are bad for them, and you are going to punish them. You've you got to wonder, did Moses just say, why did you tell me that? Why did you even tell me that? And yet, God has one more thing for Moses to do. He says, I want you to teach them a song. Teach them a song. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. What do you mean, teach them a song? If anything, we would think, okay, God's telling Moses, look, this is going to happen. They're going to fail. They're going to go in there and botch everything up. And you better have this speech prepared. Give it to Joshua so he can wag this finger at him and say, you better, you, stop it! Here, look, it's God. And he says, stop it! No. He says, sing. Sing this song as a witness against them. Sing this song of bad news. <laughs> and you read it and it is. It's a song of bad news. 99% of it is just the way they're going to go. It's just the hard-heartedness. It's just the way they're going to live. But the last verse is the best. Look at the last couple lines of the song in verse 43. Rejoice, O nations, with his people. After all the doom and gloom, after all the destruction, after all the idolatry, rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies. And here it is. And he will make atonement for his land and his people. 
Different versions have different lines here. They're all good. He will make atonement for his land and the people. You see creation matched up with people. He will be merciful to the land and his people. The ESV says he cleanses his people's land. The New American says he will atone for his land and his people. And I don't know Hebrew, but the notes that I read says he makes, and here's a $5 word, a propitiatory shelter. Everyone say propitiatory. Be careful. A propitiatory shelter. What in the world is that? Well, we all know what a shelter is. It's a covering. It's protection. But propitiation is this really big theological word that basically says, I will take the punishment that you rightly deserve and I will make things right. God says, I will make things right. For your sin, I will make that a shelter that you can be sheltered by. You can take refuge in. You can be rescued from your sin. All the bad news in the song, God will fix through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. And that's good news. And that's some of the last words that we hear Moses say. And I'm going to largely let that speak for itself. Because one of the things that has been on my heart for for years and years, and I pray it continues to be, is that there's all kinds of bad news. There's all kinds of ways we wreck our lives. Every one of us, myself included. We make horrible choices. And it doesn't, it's not enough to just say, be good, stop it. You might get somebody's attention doing that, but you won't transform their hearts. What transforms us is loving the Lord, listening to him, and understanding beyond a shadow of a doubt, he has made a way. He will atone for the land and his people. Don't ever lose that hope that someday all of this will be made new. All that out there, all that mess, all of it will be made new. But right now, you and I can share in this newness that he has taken our sin upon himself and given us this gift of salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you even in the early chapters of... At this time uh, in our service where we're getting ready to partake in the Lord's Supper, I would uh, like you to consider the following. A difficult child, a challenging marriage, a divisive family member, an unruly neighbor, your job, a deadline, 
school, finances, your transportation, your lack of transportation, your investments, your savings account, or your lack of savings account, a sickness, a sickness for a loved one, maybe your sickness, your pain, your season of life, your singleness, your childlessness, whatever your trial may be. All of these are opportunities to lose sight of Jesus. All of these are the opportunities to lose hope, to lose perspective, to not trust, to sin, to find yourself downcast, or to be discouraged, to buy, or to be discontent. And yet, as followers of Jesus, there is one abiding, unchanging, eternal, enduring, never-failing truth that takes any challenge, it takes any trial, and any temptation to lose hope, to lose sight of what matters, and puts it back into perspective. What is this truth, you may ask? Uh, I'm going to read from Colossians 1, verses 22 and 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. I'm going to read that last part again. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. If you are a believer in Christ, you at one time were alienated from God, you were hostile in mind, you were engaged in evil deeds, that is all you could do, that is all that was your nature and because of your sin and my sin, we were separated from God, we were alienated from him. Whether we knew it or not, that was our reality. Yet here it is, Jesus has reconciled you to himself, his fleshly body through death, and while you were once separated from God, deserving eternal wrath, eternal punishment for your sins, you no longer have that to look forward to. Before God, you are now seen as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. There is no love, no greater love that can ever be shown to you or to me than what we have received through the love of God, through His Son, there is no greater news that could ever be heard than this news. And whatever your trial may be, whatever your discouragement you find yourself working through, when you place this reality of what God has done through His Son next to your trial, it is like setting Mount Everest next to an anthill. Whatever central challenge you are going through today, there is hope. For that one for the one that believes in Jesus, because you have been reconciled to God, and whatever this day or week or month or even year or lifetime holds, it pales in comparison to what Christ has purchased in his death and his resurrection for you. Eternity with God reconciled. We have the opportunity right now to remember Jesus, to proclaim his death, and to anticipate his return. Jesus' blood was shed on your behalf. Jesus' body was broken so that yours would not have to be broken. Jesus endured the wrath of God that your sins deserved, and now, because of him, you are viewed by God as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. 
There is nothing you have done in the last week or this last month that Jesus' work on the cross cannot satisfy as paid in full. And now, because of him, regardless of yourself, because he was granted you grace as a believer, you are viewed by God holy and blameless and beyond reproach. What a gift. What a gift. So take this time and consider these truths and consider Jesus. Take this time and repent of your sins. Turn from it and remember your Savior as you take the juice and bread this morning. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are, uh, we are just so thankful for the uh, greatest gift that you could ever give, the, uh, the gift of your Son and, and your grace and uh, your reconciliation for us. And uh, we just ask that uh, you would accept our thanks and uh, forgive us of our sins as we go throughout the time that we are here. And uh, we just uh, thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.